Welcome to the teaching and preaching ministry of Second Baptist Church, where we exist to delight in God, display His grace, and declare His gospel all through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be reached at www.secondbaptist-mtv.com or by calling 618-244-1706. We trust you'll be encouraged and challenged by the message you're about to hear. I'd invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of James as we continue our trek together through this wonderfully penetrating and convicting and yet encouraging letter this morning. James chapter 4 is where we come this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Christians have become so preoccupied with the major sins of society that we've lost sight of our need to deal with our own more subtle sins. So writes author Jerry Bridges in his book, Respectable Sins. Sin is sin, Bridges writes. Not the obvious sins of our culture, but the more subtle sins of believers. Conservative evangelicals, he says, have become so preoccupied with some of the major sins of society around us that we've lost sight of the need to deal with our own more refined or subtle sins. Sin is sin, even those sins, he says, that we call the acceptable sins of the saints. Those sins that we tolerate in our lives are still, Bridges says, serious in God's eyes. So Bridges, he calls these subtle sins. He calls them respectable or even refined sins. We might, we might even think of them as seemingly minor sins. He says, for many believers, the awareness then of personal sin has effectively disappeared from our conscience, but not so, he says, from the sight of God. And here in James chapter 4, as we come now to the end of this chapter, James, he's going to turn now and he's going to address two sins among Christians that are often very subtle, seemingly minor sins. And, and both of them, both of them we might call sins of speech, sins of the mouth. And these two sins, which James is going to turn now to address, would be the sin of slander, verses 11 and 12, and the sin of presumption. So slanderous words and presumptive words. Now, you might say, really? Really, James? I mean, you, you're going to devote space, you're gonna devote ink in this letter to addressing something like these? I mean, isn't there, isn't there more necessary corrections that need to be made in these churches than slanderous and presumptive words, and beloved, that's Bridges' point. That's his point. These sins are sins that often, I think, fly under the radar. They're, they're often viewed as less significant than others, and here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. It matters because these two sins that we're going to see in verses 11 to 17 of chapter 
for are about more than just words. No, they actually get at something much deeper here. And isn't that what James has been doing over and over again in this letter, right? He's he's sort of just been pulling back the the layers and peeling back and exposing the the real heart of the issue, doesn't he? So, So while these two sins, they may express themselves in mere words, while they may seem to be somewhat minor, there's actually something much more significant that's going on here. And, and, and I think that these two subtle sins, they are so timely for Christians today. I mean, are, are there two sins <laughs> that are more needing to be addressed in the year 2020 than these? Slanderous, critical words and boastful, proud planning for the future. <laughs> I can't think of two sins that need to be more addressed in our world today, right now, than these. And so, each of these, I believe, is worthy of their own individual sermon. And so, this week, we're gonna look at the subtle sin of slander, verses 11 and 12, and then next time, Lord willing, we'll look at the subtle sin of presumption. And brothers and sisters, James intends for these words this morning, he intends for them to be a corrective for us, but he also intends for them to be a preventative for us. He, he, he wants us to hate these sins. He wants us to reject these sins and be repulsed by these sins and put off these sins and repent of these sins for the glory of Christ. James chapter 4, if you have your place there, I'd invite you, if you're able, out of the honor of the reading of God's word, to stand with me as we read these verses together. We're just looking at two verses this morning. Verses 11 and 12, James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. You can be seated. Well, throughout our our study of this letter so far, we've seen that James, he has a lot to say about our mouths, doesn't he? Our words are a major concern for the apostle, it's clear that our tongues and even our use of the tongue is a major reason actually for the overall purpose of this letter, isn't it? It's, it's one of James's primary burdens that we see throughout this letter. If you remember, notice back in chapter one, look with me, chapter one, verse 19, James exhorted us, exhorted his original readers to be slow to speak. Then in chapter 1, verse 26, he even says that their ability to bridle their tongues is in fact a test of the genuineness of their faith. And and that a so-called Christian who habitually fails to do so, to bridle their tongue, is actually deceiving themselves into thinking their faith is real, James says, when it's not. Then in chapter 3, notice 
verses 1 to 12, James, he spoke about the destructive power and the influence of our tongues. He, he likens our tongues to a, a forest fire that, that has such destructive power, destroying everything in its path. Then we saw back, notice in chapter 4, at the beginning of chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, where even we saw how quarreling and fighting that was going on in these churches are often, I think you'd agree, the result of the evil and sinful ways in which we use our tongues. Do our tongues ever lead to fighting and quarreling? Doug Moo, he comments in his commentary on James, he says, we cannot know for sure why these sins of the tongue were such a major problem in these churches to whom James writes, but the divisions that were racking these churches, seen in chapters three and four, may provide the best explanation for why. Quarrels over almost any issue, he says, usually end up including personal attacks and judgmental attitudes. Amen? So in other words, he's saying that while we don't know exactly why this was such a big deal in these churches to whom James writes, what is clear is that sins of the mouth were plaguing this ch these churches. And so James, he turns now to address yet another sin of the mouth, a very specific sin of speech, the subtle sin of slander. Slander. Speaking evil against others. Using our speech, using our words to criticize or to demean another person, to, to belittle them, to disparage them, destroying and tearing down others with our words, using our mouths against others. Beloved, I mean, is there, is there another verse in this letter that more captures our day? Is, is there another verse in this letter that addresses more personally each and every one of us? Daily, even? We're going to look at the sin of slander. Now, why, why do I call it a subtle sin? Why do I call it a subtle sin? Let me give you two reasons why. Number one, here's one reason why. Slander is a subtle sin because it's oftentimes done under the banner of defending truth. So here's what I mean. Slander often gets a free pass among Christians because the person I'm slandering is someone I think is wrong. Someone I don't agree with. And therefore, I'm at liberty to say whatever I want to about them or however I want to about them. Ascribing perhaps wrong motives, making false statements, misrepresenting them in such a way that it damages their reputation. That's slander. Subtle. Here's a second reason it's subtle. Slander is so subtle because it's so prevalent among Christians. I mean, it's, it, this is just common. This is the norm. It's so widespread among Christians. Jerry Bridges, he says in this book, he's, he comments how when, he, when people asked him back when he was writing the book what the book was about, and he would say sins that Christians tolerate. In fact, I think that's the subtitle of the book, Respectable Sins. Someone, he says, would inevitably roll their eyes and say, oh, you mean sins like slander, sins like gossip. Now, why would they say that? Well, Bridges says, because apparently this was the first of the Christian sins that came to mind. 
So it must be quite prevalent among us and is something we continue to tolerate in our lives. Slander. So, beloved, I'm afraid that this sin is so pervasive among Christians and in many churches that we hardly even recognize it when we're doing it. It's so prevalent in politics. It's so prevalent in social media and in television that oftentimes we're numb to it. We're desensitized to it. And yet, we listen to it. And we're fascinated by it. And we're drawn to it. And yet here in verses 11 and 12, what we see, James, he's going to show us why the sin is so dangerous. As as Bridget says, why it's so serious in the eyes of God. Because there's something uniquely sinful and destructive with slander. And here it is. This is it. Critical speech, slanderous speech is an act of arrogance and pride. Critical speech, slanderous speech, is an act of arrogance and pride against others, but more importantly, against God himself. Slanderous speech is not subtle at all. No, it's an act of arrogant pride and rebellion against God. It reveals a particular posture of opposition and rebellion towards God. This is no subtle sin. And here's where I think these verses, verses 11 and 12, as well as verses 13 to 17, we'll see next time, Lord willing, fit into the context here of chapter 4. So let me me just say a brief word here about context. Because in my study this past week, one of the things I saw was that many commentators have difficulty understanding how verses 11 and 12 fit here in chapter 4. Some said, that they just go with the previous section of verses that we saw. So it just sort of rounds off now everything that we've seen from chapter 3, verse 1, about sin of the tongue, slander here, rounding that off. And I think there's probably some truth to that. Uh, Others, I found, even said that this is just sort of standalone. It's just kind of transitional. Even even some of them said it's just kind of out of place. (laughs) It's It's just random for James. But beloved, I I think it fits perfectly here. Now why? Well, just look back, look back. Verses six to 10, last time we saw, James has been addressing here the need for humble repentance before God, right? We saw that last time. Look at verse six. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. So this section is all about humility before God, the need to be humble. And both of these sins, listen, both of these sins, slander and presumptuous words are sins of pride, are sins that attack humility. And so they both exalt self. That's how they fit. So they fit here perfectly, don't they? If you and I wish to humble ourselves before the Lord, then we must guard ourselves against the subtle sins of pride. 
So why is slander so evil? Why is it so sinful? Well, James shows us here. Look there, verses 11 and 12, three reasons why. Three reasons. Three ways slander is, slander is so evil. The subtle sin. Number one, number one, notice, slander harms the child of God. Slander harms the child of God. Notice there, verse 11. N- notice James's command there in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So notice the, the flow here. Notice the transition now from verse 10 where James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another. So in other words, one way, one way in which we humble ourselves before God is by avoiding slanderous critical speech of others. As Alec Matier says in his commentary, he says, if we are truly low before God, we have no altitude left from which to look down on others. Amen? Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another. So, so what does it mean then to speak evil? What does it mean to have a slanderous tongue? Let's first define what that means. Well, notice in verse 11 there, that word, it's somewhat difficult actually for translators to pin down. The ESV, the, the, the translation from which I preach, and, and, and the New American Standard, they translate it, speak evil against one another. The NIV translates it, do not slander one another. Other translations include criticize, malign, disparage one another. William Tyndale, actually, in his translation into English, he translated it backbite. So, you can see how translators here are kind of wrestling here with just how to pin down a difficult word to translate. Because literally, here's what it means. It means to speak against someone. To speak against someone. That's what it means to slander. In fact, that's exactly how, notice, the ESV translates it later in verse 11. Look there, later in verse 11, he says, the one who speaks against a brother. So, same word there. It means to speak against. How's it used in other places in the Bible? Well, if you were to flip over, you can turn there if you want or you can listen. Flip over to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21, so in the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use the same word here, Numbers 21. If you remember the children of Israel, they're wandering in the wilderness, complaining. And in verse five, we read this, Numbers 21 verse five, and the people became impatient on the way and the people spoke against God and Moses, same word, spoke against, saying, why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? So notice that speaking against, slandering here, and in this case against God and Moses, carries the idea of assigning someone wrong motives. Bad intentions, right? In this case, God. God, you brought us out here to die. Psalm 101, verse 5. We read this. Whoever slanders or speaks against his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. So this is slandering someone 
in secret. First Peter chapter 2, turn there, First Peter 2 verse 12 and chapter 3 verse 16. First Peter 2, 12, 3, 16, it carries the idea of bringing incorrect accusations against someone. So, beloved, what, what, what I'm trying to get you to see here is that this word has a very broad meaning because in English, we have to be really careful here because often we, we might simply define slander as, as making false statements about somebody and it, it, it includes that, but it's, it's much more broad in term. It's not limited to just false statements about somebody. No, it's a much more broad term in scope. So, so what is slander? Here it is. It refers to any form, any form of malicious speech. Any speech that is hostile, any speech that is vindictive, any speech that is critical of another, one commentator says, it is mindless, thoughtless, careless, critical, derogatory, or untrue speech. Another says, it denotes many kinds of harmful speech. So, any talk then that puts someone down, any talk that belittles them, any talk that highlights their shortcomings, whether it be true or false, perceived or real, any talk that harms the reputation of another, any talk that spreads a bad report or puts someone in a bad light, this is what it means to slander. And what's, what's the intent? Well, the intent is to harm. The intent is to disparage someone. It's to, to get back at them. It's to put them in their place paint them in a bad light, undermining their motives, undermining their character. That's the intent. What's the effect? Well, whoever we're talking to about this person now loses respect for them. It makes others think less of them. You're lowering that individual in the eyes of others and encouraging them to do the same. And, and, and inevitably, it causes disruptions in relationships. It causes divisions in churches. It, it defames others. It defames leadership. It sows seeds of suspicion. That's the effect. And what, what form does it take? Well, it can take many forms. A critical word behind someone's back. A private text message. A post going viral. Phrases like, I'm not trying to gossip, but dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Did you hear about so-and-so? Hey, do you know John? You roll your eyes. Oh, yeah. John. Leaving others damaged defamed. One author, he describes slander this way, sometimes, sometimes we pass along slanderous information that seems almost like harmless hearsay, yet the effect it has on our listeners is to leave them with an unfairly negative perception of another. Sometimes we embellish with information or tone a negative report about someone in order to enhance 
our listener's perception of ourselves. Sometimes we have a very real concern about someone, but we share it with someone who cannot benefit from or help with the concern. We do this because we simply want our listeners to think worse of a particular individual, or we share a concern with an appropriate person. When we do it, we can sometimes indulge or our speculations or presumptions, mixing them almost imperceptibly with facts for our listeners, distorting the concern in order to sway an outcome in a direction we desire. Beloved, that's slander. That's what slander is. And what does God think about slander? Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 says this, that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, and one of them is haughty eyes, proud eyes, and another is one who sows discord among brothers. God hates it. It's evil. And it's evil. Listen, not just for the one who speaks it, but for the one who listens to it. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ears to a mischievous tongue. James 3 says, This kind of speech actually is demonic. It's not the speech of heaven, it's the speech of hell. And notice the first reason James says why slandering someone is evil. Look there, verse 11. Three times he tells us. Three times. Did you catch that? Don't miss it. Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother judges his brother. Three times. Well, that's emphatic. Don't miss it. James is talking about slandering a brother. Slandering harms a child of God. This, this threefold here repetition is meant to remind us of the family relationship we share with one another in the church. We are spiritual siblings. Verse 11, he, he has in mind here other believers, one another. C clearly, he means these brothers within the church. So, he wants us to see that these are more than simply people that we attend church with. <laughs> these are brothers and sisters. These are spiritual siblings. We are, we are called by the same spirit. We're saved by the same grace. We're sons and daughters of the same heavenly father. And when we slander a fellow believer, we are slandering someone who is loved by God, adopted by God, purchased by God, by the blood of Jesus, precious in his sight, one in whom God is at work, one whom God has predestined for glory, and I'm going to maliciously speak against them? It's a wicked thing to slander a child of God. And it doesn't stop with words. It goes down to the very thoughts about someone. Slandering first begins and continues on then in the mind. So even, even what we think about others, it, it's something we say to ourselves long before it ever passes through our lips. In fact, James says, notice verse 11, 
Not only is it to speak against a brother, but it is to judge a brother. So closely here, notice associated with the sin of slander, James says, he's being judgmental. It's to judge. Now, we, ha- we have to be careful here because James isn't saying, he's not saying that there is never a time to make judgments of one another, evaluations of, of one another. He, he isn't saying it's never appropriate to spiritually assess another believer or to discern another brother or sister, right? I mean, that, that would completely contradict this entire letter, right? He, he's been doing that this whole letter, hasn't he? Making evaluations of these believers? No, judgments are necessary at times. So, for example, Scripture requires churches and pastors to discern and to judge when someone commits a sin and refuses to repent. Church discipline should become necessary when one is pursuing a life that denies their profession of faith. Or when a brother or sister is clearly pursuing sin. So we're, we're not here talking about when someone is, is, needs to be confronted in sin. Nor are we talking here about debatable issues, gray areas, Christian liberties, things over which we might disagree, different perspectives, different opinions. No, when a brother or sister is living in sin, we are called to pursue them and to bring others in, the church in, to help us pursue them, assessing them by upholding them to God's standard. We are to do that. Nor is James forbidding here humble, respectful discussion about our differences. Man, we need a load of that right now. However, it does forbid the entire spectrum of talk that criticizes, puts down, belittles one another, seeking to make others less in the eyes of someone else. Any kind, any form of slanderous speech that defames others. So note here how James, he just he expands it here. Verse 11, look there. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. So he's saying that critical speech, slanderous words, inevitably involves judgment about another person. We're, we're standing in judgment over them is what he's saying. Look, looking down on them. Maybe it's a, a perspective they have or an opinion that they hold. Maybe it's a, it's a lifestyle decision. Maybe it's how they raise their children. Maybe it's how they, they live their lives and we look down from the judgment seat with proud eyes. That's what's happening when we slander somebody. Criticizing others while being unaware, being unforgetful of our own shortcomings of our own sins, and yet we're all too aware of our view of theirs. So bottom line, we think we're superior to them in the eyes of God, and we make them inferior. So, so notice, since we've become not only the critics, we've become the judge. 
That's what James is saying. Speaking evil against one another, brothers. And I, I think it's important to note that this command, while it's directed at one another in, in the church, friends, it doesn't, however, give us a license to slander non-Christians either. Remember back in chapter 3, notice verse 9, cursing people who are made in the image of God, Christian or non-Christian. We, all people are worthy of our honor and our respect because they are image bearers of God. That's why we don't murder them. That's why we don't kill them in the womb. That's why we don't slander them. Image bearers. But slander here harms the child of God. The, the one for whom Christ died. We should fear speaking against one of God's children. They belong to him. Second, slander not only harms the child of God, slander violates the law of God. It violates the law of God. Look there, verse 11b, second half of verse 11. Notice James, he just takes the issue deeper and further, doesn't he? Starts with just against one another, but then notice he continues to pull back the layers of slander. Slander, notice, is not only evil because of what it does to the one who's slandered, it's evil because of what it reveals about the slanderer. Do you see that? What does it reveal? Look there, verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, what does James mean here? Well, he means, brothers and sisters, that when we slander someone, when we gossip, when we criticize, just, just the whole range of speaking against a person. In effect, what we're doing in that moment is I am slandering the law of God. When I judge a brother in that moment, what I'm actually doing is I'm judging the law of God. And here's why. Because to judge another, to slander another, is a flagrant violation of God's law. As one commentator said, the judge thinks he enforces the law, but he actually violates the law. So rather than upholding God's law, really what we're doing is we're breaking God's law. That's what James is saying when you slander someone. And what law are we breaking? What law are we violating? That's easy. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're, we're breaking the law of love. The most basic law. Most commentators think that James has in mind here Leviticus chapter 19. If you remember, back, look back with me, chapter 2, verse 8. When he was discussing the sin of partiality, James, he already quoted from Leviticus 19 in verse 18, 
Leviticus 19.18, notice chapter 2, verse 8, where it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and this command to love one's neighbor actually, James says, notice chapter 2, verse 8, is the royal law, meaning it's, it's the law of Christ. It's the law of the kingdom of God. Love, love actually fulfills God's law. But right before Moses gives that command in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, just, just two verses prior to that, so Leviticus 19.16, here's what Leviticus 19.16 says, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So as God is sort of laying down the, the foundational groundwork for this new nation that he's just created, he forbids slander among his people. Listen, because slander fails to love one's it's a failure to love. It's breaking the law. So when we speak evil against others, we are showing, friends, a flagrant disregard. We are ignoring the most core, fundamental, central command of God's law, the command to love. And so ironically then, when we play the part of a judge, we, we are actually the one who is breaking and slandering God's law by failing to uphold it and to love our neighbor. And guess what? Guess what? God's law is an expression of God himself. The law is not this arbitrary list of rules. The law is an expression of the very nature and heart of God himself. And so really then, therefore, to slander another person, James says, is the equivalent of not only slandering the law, it is the equivalent of slandering God himself. When you slander somebody, you are slandering God. Got a lot more serious. And not only are we slandering the law, look at verse 11. We're judging the law as well. Meaning, we're standing in judgment over the law. We think we know better than the law. The law is mistaken. We're standing in judgment over it. Now, how so? Well, because here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing. We're picking and we're choosing which parts of God's law we want to obey. We're picking and choosing the ones that we think are important and the ones that we think aren't important. We're deciding for ourselves which commands we're gonna follow and which ones we're not gonna follow. I used this illustration a few weeks ago, if you remember, where I talked about the law of God, that it's not like trail mix, it's like a sheet of glass, remember that? My kids, they like to pick out the, 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 the M&Ms and the trail mix, bugs me to no end. And, and we often do that with the law. But the law actually is like a sheet of glass. You throw one rock through it, what happens? It shatters the whole thing because it's connected, it's one. And so in essence, we're rejecting the entire law. We are rejecting, in fact, the authority of God 
when we slander, look verse 11, we are not a doer of the law, we're a judge over the law. Do you remember, do you remember what was the very first sin in the garden? At the risk of oversimplification, okay, could we say, could we say that the very first sin, even prior to Adam and Eve's sin, the very first sin in the garden was slander. Was slander. The very first words of slander ever spoken against someone came from Satan himself toward God. Did God really say? Casting doubt, suspicion, accusation against God and his law. Slander is an outright violation and rejection of God's law, really of God himself. Beloved, isn't James such a good pastor. Here's what I mean. He, he could just say, guys, stop it. Stop slandering. These are pastorally wise words. These are good for parenting. He's getting at the very heart of the issue here. Right? He drills down deep to expose pride and arrogance and slander. It's the breaking of God's law. It's the failure to love. It's the rejection of God himself that in reality, when we slander, we're rejecting the authority of God, which leads to the third and final thing James shows us about slander, why it's so evil. Third and finally, slander assumes the role of God. So slander harms the child of God, it violates the law of God, and it assumes the role of God. Of God. Look there, verse 12. Is there any higher form of evil than taking the place of God? Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So then, verse 12, James, notice how he just, he, he's just now gotten to the very root of slander, right here. When, when you slander another, ultimately, James is saying, here's, here's what you're doing. You're usurping the throne of God. You are taking the place of God. We're, we're not just harming the individual. We're not just disobeying God's law by failing to love that person, but we're actually, James says, committing cosmic treason by taking the rights and the place of God as lawgiver and as judge. We're trying to rule in his place. But verse 12, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge, and guess what? It ain't you, and it ain't me. So rather than humility before God, chapter four, verses six to 10, as he's called us to, we are slandering 
and trying to take the place of God himself. In fact, notice, notice just two things James highlights about God here in verse 12. Look there. There is only one lawgiver and judge. Notice what James says about God. He is, he is the lawgiver. He's the lawgiver, meaning that he himself, because, because the law is a very reflection of him, it's a very reflection of his nature, he is the standard of all that is good. He is the standard of all that is right and holy. He alone, as lawgiver, by his nature, establishes what is right. He's the lawgiver. And verse 12, notice, he alone is judge. He's the judge, meaning that on that basis, as the lawgiver, he alone judges all. Everyone. He judges everyone with perfect knowledge. He judges everyone with perfect wisdom, with perfect justice and righteousness and moral integrity. He alone is the judge who sees all and knows all and evaluates all, every secret thought, every intention, every motive, every unseen thing that happens, every deed that we think goes unnoticed, who will one day call everyone to account. You will stand before him and give an account for every hidden thing that has happened in your life, and he will settle all accounts. He will right all wrongs. There is only one lawgiver and judge. And in verse 12, notice, he is able to save and to destroy. Meaning that he alone is the one, not us, who determines ultimate destinies. He's the divine lawmaker and the divine judge. Eternal life, eternal destruction are in his hands alone. And therefore, we have no right, no right to condemn another. Slander, criticize, judge, try, trying to push God off of his throne. And so it's no wonder then that James concludes this indictment, notice with this rhetorical question of disbelief. Verse 12, but who are you to judge your neighbor? I mean, you, you, it's almost like you can just Hear the sarcasm in James's voice there. Who, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who do you think you are? Tell me again. With this portrait of God, the lawgiver, the judge, who do you think you are? Who elected you? There's only one lawgiver and judge. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the real issue behind slander. When, when we speak against someone, criticizing, belittling them, tearing them down, sowing suspicion, assuming we know their motives and their heart, eager to find fault, attacking their character, calling into question their reputation, what we're doing is questioning their status before the one true and living God. We are ascending the throne. We are blaspheming his name. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Serious. But, but, 
as serious as this accusation is, and I don't want to minimize it, did you notice, did you notice the motiv- motivating mercy in this verse? Verse 12. Did you notice the grace? Do you see it? You, m- you might have skimmed over it. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save. He saves. He saves. Friends, yes, he's a lawgiver and he's the judge, but he's the savior. He's the righteous judge and his judgments are always right, 100% accurate all of the time. His assessment is never wrong of you, never slanderous of you, but this just judge, he has extended mercy and grace and salvation. He has sent his son to receive the righteous condemnation of God for our sin. All of your arrogant defiance, all of your disregard for the law, all of your rebellion against him, Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and for the one who looks to Jesus as his perfect righteousness before this judge, God will forgive all of your sin, every slanderous word, every cruel thought you've ever thought, every arrogant judgment, and he covers you. He covers you with the blood of his own son, And he promises never to destroy you, never to condemn you, never to send you away in judgment because that's already been done in Christ. No, he promises to save you. Yeah, he's the judge, but he's the savior. He will save you. There's good news here for sinners. So what sort of application then should we make? Let me just give you two points of application and we'll be done. If we're gonna be doers of the word, Here they are. Number one, I want you to see ways we fight against the sin of slander. Ways we fight it. Number one, we allow the gospel to shape us. We allow the gospel to shape us, to shape our thoughts, shape our words, shape our views of others, our views of ourselves, We allow the gospel to inform our outlook on every one of those areas. Here's what I mean. Brothers and sisters, the message of the gospel is that we've been freed from condemnation. Is that good news to you this morning? We've been freed from condemnation. We have been forgiven of all of our sin simply because and accepted by God on the basis of Jesus Christ alone. That's good news. And so then, how does the gospel shape my thoughts and my words and my views of others and my views of myself? Well, think about this. The sin of slander, it originates out of pride. It originates out of arrogance towards others or or, or the need because of maybe a low view of myself or an inaccurate view of myself to, to try to seek to elevate myself over somebody else. And so I slander them. That's what you're doing. But the gospel tells us, I've already been accepted and loved by God. I got nothing to prove to nobody. 
I have nobody to triumph over. So I'm actually freed then to selflessly love other people. And in the gospel, I'm aware of my own sin, I'm aware of my own shortcomings, that I've been the recipient of undeserved grace, and you know what that's gonna do? It's gonna lead you to extend mercy and grace to others. God saved me. So I have nobody to try to compete with, no reputation to try to earn by elevating myself over others and criticizing and bringing others down. The gospel shapes all of that. Here's the second thing, though, ways we fight against the sin of slander. We remind ourselves regularly of the importance of our words. James James has shown us the importance of words, hasn't he? I mean, throughout this letter, words give life and words destroy. They can be used for evil, they can be used for good. And when I was studying, I I, I thought of, this passage came to mind. Maybe you want to turn there. Just listen if you want to. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Maybe you've said it often to your kids. Ephesians 4, 29. We need to be reminded of it too. Paul says this, that, that, that he wants us to see that for the Christian, our words are gifts from God. Our words are actually instruments. They're, they're vessels. They're vehicles of, something, of God's grace. Ephesians 4.29, which would be the opposite of slander here. Look what he says. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So, so just notice there the, the absoluteness. No corrupt talk. No filthy language. No rotten speech. No, no destructive talk. Our, our aim should be only at building up, giving grace to those who hear. So, so, so ask yourself this. In, in my daily words and conversations with others, will, will these words, are they, are they building up? Are they giving grace? Are they, are they going to be a blessing to the person who hears them? Will they show honor and respect and love for all? What, what, is, what does God say about that person? What does Jesus say to the Father about me. So church, let's be diligent. Let's let's be committed to rejecting the the, the temptation to tear each other down, belittle one another, sow seeds of suspicion. Instead, let's commit, let's do this. Let's commit to protecting one another's reputation. To say, I got your back. I've got your back. And so it means that we are aware, we are alert, we are attentive to any form of slander in this church. And when it arises, we come at it quickly. Meet it head on, right away. Which means this. Which means when slander begins to surface in this church, we we ask questions of one another like this. Have you shared that concern with that person directly? 
I'll be willing to go talk to you with them. Or, just to be clear, before, before you, is this information I should know? Do you want me to help pursue reconciliation with you? Wait, wait, wait. Are you doing everything possible right now to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and slander? Ephesians 4.31. How can I help guard my fellow church members, my brothers and sisters' reputation? Last thing, I'm done. Last way of application. Not only ways we fight the sin of slander, ways we respond when we are slandered. Ways we respond when we are slandered. Because one of the, one of the easiest ways to be led into sin is when we're sinned against, right? So how do we, how do we fight this? How, how do we fight the sin when we're the ones slandered against? Very practically, here you go. First, commit your reputation to the Lord. When we're slandered, oftentimes the first thing we want to do is what? We want to defend ourselves, right? We want to seek to defend ourselves. We want to come to our own defense. We want to speak out. But, but really what we need to do, I think, is we, we need to be, remain silent. We need to trust the Lord. We need to let truth be the advocate, I think. Because oftentimes the desire to defend ourselves, it, it's really just the fear of man. Right? We're not fearing God. We're fearing what other people think about us and how they perceive us. But above all, we need to let truth and not our own appearance be the greatest motivator here. God will judge. So we commit our reputation to the Lord. Here's the second thing we do. We gently confront the slanderer. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and what? Tell him his fault. And we do it with love and care. We do it face to face. We don't do it over text. We don't do it over email. We go to that person gently, humbly, willing to listen, maybe taking a third party with us, and we don't get defensive. We begin by asking questions, not accusations. You sinned against me in this way. That's how you protect this church. That's how you protect your brother. Finally, you preach the gospel to yourself. Come full circle. When we are slandered, oftentimes it's self-pity. Woe is me. And here's the attitude we need. Spurgeon said this. He said, just remember, when you're slandered, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Christ alone is the Savior. He's the judge. He's the advocate. He's our righteousness. We are secure in him. May God protect and guard this church from the subtle sin of slander. Let's pray.
Father, right now I'm, I'm just thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ who is seated at the, your right hand. Whoever lives to make intercession for his own, pleading our case before you, praying for us continually, that the words from his lips are, they're mine. I've bought them with my own blood. See my righteousness. God, thank you for our advocate, the one who is the lawgiver and the judge, but the one who is our savior. Oh God, may you guard this church from the subtle sin of slander. May we use our words and our mouths only as vehicles of grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's so good to worship with you this morning. Why don't you stand and you see, receive this benediction as we, as we leave here together from Numbers chapter six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed. Thanks for being here. We trust you were encouraged by the message you heard. For more information about our church, visit us online at www.secondbaptist-mtv.com or call us at 618-244-1706. And thank you for listening.